you and I exchange a day of our lives for something every day. And it's, it's almost like as if the start of your life, you and I are issued a bunch of coins, right? And every day we spend a coin on something. And it could be, could be your last coin. You don't know, we don't know how many coins we have, right? But every day you take the day's coin and you exchange it for something and so much, there's so much that we could do with the coin. Some of you are already thinking about your coin today. Now, what am I going to do with this? And so the art of living wisely is a matter of how we spend our coins. Now, you've most likely heard something like this before, right? Maybe in like a, like a leadership training at work or whatever, right? You've, you've most likely heard something like that before, and it's because you're a human being, meaning Human beings are the only creatures with the capacity to think about their life, the purpose they have in their life, what life is all about. We have that capacity. This is the philosophical thinking that humans, that we know we have one life and that we have a responsibility in that life. And we even have a burden to find meaning in this life. That we are creatures that long for and we have desires and we search for meaning. So in in broad terms, this is existentialism. Existentialism is, we'll throw a definition up on the screen here, it's a a philosophical theory or approach which emphasizes the existence of the individual person as a free and responsible agent determining their own development through acts of the will. And you know, and I know, that we can do things that will potentially bring us meaning. Or not. Now, I've been having some existential moments lately. I am on the cusp of turning 50 this year. So, yeah, I know. And see, here's the thing. Because I have a microphone, you're going to hear all about that journey (laughs) over the next five months, okay? But I've been having these (laughs) little existential moments, right? Like, this is my last Christmas before 50, or this is my, you know, whatever. (laughs) And some of you are like, been there. And some of you are like, I can't even imagine how old you are. But the point is, I'm having the moments. Now, the last, and because of that, there's been a lot of reflection going on in my life and big moments, small moments, whatever. So, but the last few weeks, on purpose, we've actually had some built-in reflection around here. And some of you were like, yeah, hated it. But some of you loved it, and some of you were like, man, that was the first time someone actually gave me a space, and I gave myself the space to reflect. 
and, and Randy and Joanne led us in some of that, and then Mandy did last week, and it was all on purpose. Because you have a telos. You have a purpose. And you're probably like, well, what is it? What is the grand goal for your life? Why are you alive? Now, I'm not talking about your job um, and not your goals for this year or the goals you have for the next five years. Um, trust me, I love my job. I love the things I get to do here and with the police department and all those kinds of things, but that's not the overarching meaning in my life. Philosophers tell us that deep down what humans are looking for in religion, in relationships, in work, and art, in our experiences is ultimately a quest for what they call salvation. And salvation, meaning salvation would be snatched from the clutches of meaninglessness. So what is the grand goal of why we are alive and living? Because we do not want our lives to be wasted. And many of us, here's the problem, many of us have not stopped long enough to think about it. We are just going. And if we're honest, some of our goals have been formed for us. Some of your goals in life have been formed by your family of origin or by just kind of what you stumbled into. And if we're honest, um, they have like crept in. What our vision is for the good life has kind of come to us from other people. Uh, We haven't stopped to think about it. We've just been formed unintentionally. So go to school, get good grades, go to college, get a good job, blah, blah, blah. And our culture doesn't let us decide sometimes what the grand goal of our lives are. We just, it just sweeps us up, right? We wake up at 45, 55, 65, and without discovering what the grand philosophy of our lives is. And add to that, our culture is also really good at distracting us from thinking about all those things. We have distractions everywhere we look. And we think, we end up thinking that our goals are the next getaway, the next, you know, gadget, the next experience, the next season of life will bring that meaning that we want to have. So do you have a coherent way of thinking that brings you meaning or coherent way of living that brings you meaning from beginning to end? Some of you are like, why did I come here today? This is depressing. It's not. Hang in there. I'm going to share you this quote from, well, you'll see. Why is it important to have a philosophy of life? Because without one, there is a danger that you will mislive. That despite all your activity, despite all the pleasant diversions you might have enjoyed while alive, you will end up living a bad life. There is, in other words, a danger that when you are on your deathbed, you will look back and realize that you wasted your one chance at living instead of spending your life pursuing something genuinely valuable. You squandered it 
because you allowed yourself to be distracted by all the various baubles life has to offer. Now, do you feel it? Like, do you feel the weight of that hit you at all? If you do, guess what you just felt? Existential angst. You felt it. You got the coins, and you got the, you know, all the things. And here's the thing. One of the most popular questions of Jesus was, what do you want? He asked this in different ways in his life to people. What do you want? And uh, speaking of like the rich young ruler conversation, he, rich young ruler says, like, what do you got to do? What do you got to do? You know, and he's like, here's what you got to do. And he walked away. It's like, what do you want? That's what Jesus was always getting at. Uh, Stephen Covey, who wrote, you know, that famous, highly effective habits for people, whatever, he said this, there are only two human problems, knowing what you want, but not knowing how to get it, and not knowing what you want. Uh, Augustine, you know, talks about how like, knowing what you want, like, we're humans, and knowing what we want drives us forward. He says, human beings are longing creatures driven forward by our longings and our loves. And many Christians struggle with this. They're like, I don't want to have, longings are bad. Desires are bad. Why? I'm supposed to not have any of those, and that's not true. Many of us were taught to pray a prayer of surrender believing in Jesus, but still never wrestle with a philosophy of life, like a grand goal for our lives. We just assumed like, oh, I am going to heaven when I die, and now I get to just kind of choose my own adventure. So here's some questions for today. Get ready for some more existential angst. First one's this, do you know what you want? <laughs> no? <laughs> Do you know what you want? And I'll follow that up with this one. Is what you want worthy of your whole life? And then the final question, are you absolutely sure about that? Are you convinced of that? And so there it is again, that pesky existential angst. Now, here's the bad news. Like William Irvin said, we, there's a danger of misliving. There's a danger of misliving. And you know who knows this? Your phone knows this. It has a way of learning you and <laughs> distracting you. And then you swipe and scroll and buy and click. And then Netflix knows this. Um, they said their biggest competitor is sleep. <laughs> it's just like, yeah. Whole industries are hoping 
not only hoping, but they're hoping that, that you don't know what you want so that they can tell you what you should want. And it's almost like just getting up in the morning, there's these forces around us with a vision for our lives, right? Like whole industries with a vision for our lives, whether they're political industries or economic or vacation or parenting or whatever, everything has a vision for our lives. And so if you don't have one, Easy to pick up a few. May I be so bold as to say that we have a vision for your life? That you're probably like, really? Yeah. We have a vision for your life. We have actually a vision for our collective life as a church. And you're like, really? Like I'm sitting in a cinder block gym with two uneven red stripes around the room and you have a vision for my life? Yeah, it's not, it's not my, I didn't like cook this up. I'm not like a marketing genius. Our vision for your life is Jesus's vision for your life. Now, I believe that God came in Jesus as a rabbi teacher. And it says it all over the pages of the Gospels. And not only was he just a teacher, he was a philosopher, Jesus was. And he had a way of life in him on offer to everybody. And, and within the fact that he was a philosopher, see, in Jesus' day, when you think philosophy, a lot of us think of like, you know, Nietzsche and deconstruction and, and just you know, dismantling everything just for fun. That's like modern philosophy. But in Jesus's day, an ancient philosophy that was just the lodestar by which humans understood their place in the cosmos and how one was to live their life. It was all about a way of being in the world that offered true life and flourishing, what philosophers called the good life. And finally, I've been waiting a long time for this, Someone actually wrote a book about Jesus being a philosopher. And uh, I'm just going to throw it up here. It's a guy named Jonathan Pennington, and I love it. And he writes this in his book. The good life refers to the habits of practiced wisdom that produce in the human soul deep and lasting flourishing. Jesus was a great philosopher. Some of you are freaking out right now, but you're like, you're just saying Jesus was a teacher, not... No, just hold on. Let's cool your church jets. He came to seek and save the lost. And he came to show the way to live life and live it to the full. And he came to show the way of life that can be... You can be saved... A life, the way a life can be saved and consequently a soul as well. Meaning, just so you know, you don't have a soul, you are one. And Jesus came to save you as a whole person. And the, going to heaven when you die was not the thrust of Jesus' teaching. That the great philosophical question of his day and of ours is how do we live a whole, meaningful, and flourishing 
life. And we often think of the way of Jesus as being, and being a Christian is just to answer the questions about the next life. That's what we think. That's what we've been taught. Like, do you know where you're going to go when you die kind of questions. But I think a better question is, do you know what you're going to do when you live? Like, not, not the, just the next life questions, but the this life questions. Like, if I, like, you know, is, you know like if I die, am, am I cool? Yeah, you're cool. <laughs> but now what? Like, and we think we're supposed to, like, mostly live a miserable kind of unfun life until the end, but we'll be good. That's not the teaching of Jesus, Jesus at all. And if you're new to Jesus, Jesus was this fulfilled, joyful, happy person, fully God, fully human, fully truly human. And just investigate his life. I dare you to do it. And he was accused of being a drunkard and a glutton, which meant he had some He wasn't a detached person up on a mountain that you would, you know, crawl up to see, and he was in quiet Zen moments. I mean, he broke so many cultural norms out of love for people. And he has this, this conversation with a guy. He's like, hey, I'm coming to your house for dinner. Like, he just just barges in. Now, he lived, he lived this full, flourishing life with people, with God. He was fully himself. He was fully integrated. It means he had no secrets, no shadow side, no shame. Just what you saw was true and real and authentic. And I am convinced that if I saw Jesus live his life, that I would want his life. And oh yes, he suffered too. <laughs> and he was tortured at the hands of people who hated him. And he died and he forgave people as he died. He wasn't on the cross spitting at people, snarling at people. He, he, and, it, and it says in Hebrews, it's like, why did he do it? He did it for the joy set before him. Love and joy drove Jesus to and through the cross. Why joy? Why did the Hebrew writers say joy? Because I think that by breaking the controlling grip and power of sin and death, Jesus could offer and usher us into a life that we were created for, here now and in the future. Second century um, theologian, church father, Arrhenius, said this, Our Lord Jesus Christ, through his transcendent love, became what we are, that he might bring us to be even what he is himself. So, for instance, did you know that in the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, one of Jesus' greatest recorded teachings starts with how to be happy. And you're like, wait a second, I don't remember that translation. That's because our translation is blessed. 
which is the more I hear that word, it just weirds me out. Translated happy in the early church. The early church translations are of happiness, meaning happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus is like on offer, he's like saying that this is how you could live life. This is how you could be satisfied, content, joy-filled, at peace with yourselves, others, God, and creation itself. Happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Jesus came to seek and save, and in doing so, to teach us how to live this life. That's why we talk about discipleship to Jesus being the joyful relearning of what it means to be human, because he was human, and he has a vision for our life that is beautiful. Now, the passage that I'm about to read doesn't seem like the good life, but it is a vision for your life. It is a philosophy of life. Mark chapter 8. It says, then Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Now, Jesus is not only Savior and Lord, but uh, he is a teaching, he's a philosophical teaching. So I want you to look at this passage, not just from the Savior, Savior and Lord lens, but from a philosophy of life lens. Okay, Is Jesus talking about heaven? No. He's talking about way you live your life right now. So first thing I want to just share with you is this. Jesus is saying that it's very possible to mislive. It's very easy to mislive. That you could lose your life. Uh, real quick illustration. We have a lot of babies in the room. Um, had a lot of babies this last year. We got babies everywhere, and they're all cute. Otherwise, we wouldn't let them come here. <laughs> the trick about babies, parents, if you haven't noticed, is they love to put things in their mouths. They just, and, and, and especially the little older they get in that first year, they're just grabbing stuff and just jamming it in their mouths. Now, here's the thing about their first year birthday. It's really not for them. It's a celebration that they survived the year putting all the things in their mouths, right? Now, I just want to just, as we grow as human beings, we don't move beyond putting everything in us. Yet, yeah, you probably don't walk down the street and pick stuff up and put it in your mouth anymore. You've grown past that. But as a human being, there's something in us that wants to put things in our lives, that just wants to just grab the whole world and just pull it in. It's like we have this propensity to go after the whole world. That's why every famous person memoir, hate to break it to you, 
that every famous person's memoir is, I did all this and now I'm dead inside. <laughs> Just saying. Usually, that's what it is. Yeah, I did all this stuff, all this success, now I'm dead inside. Um, and it, so the question is, are we misliving? Are we misliving? The second thing I think that Jesus is saying here is that Jesus has a vision for your whole life to be saved. Not just your detached soul, but your whole life. And the paradox is he's asking you to die for a way to live. He says whoever wants to save their life, your, your life is, is meant to mean something right now. And he's asking you to die. I mean, it's the, almost the craziest philosophical statement. And don't think of heaven like I've been saying. Think of this life. Jesus is offering life that is truly life, like now, and to show us a way to live and truly live and die and do both with joy. But so many of us are afraid to let go. We're afraid to let go. We really do. We're absorbing different philosophies of the good life all along the way. And we keep thinking that at any moment or around any corner, there's just going to be that pay bump that will come, that, that there's that relationship that will just walk into our lives, that experience that will deeply satisfy us, and it's just around the corner. And to add to the confusion, we've been trained as followers of Jesus in church circles to think of Jesus only as a life after death offering. And we are on our own to find meaning now. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I offer you life here and now to the fullest, like a full integrated whole life. And that's a vision of life that is truly life. To deny, to die, to become a disciple. And this is very strange. And this is something we chew on and wrestle with as a community. To be an apprentice, to be an, a disciple of Jesus means to be with Jesus, to learn how to be with Jesus, to become like him, and to do what he and it's a philosophy of life that we would not mislive. Jonathan Pennington in his book, Jesus the Great Philosopher, says this, the flourishing and happy life does not happen accidentally. It must be sought after. And the means of pursuit is a life of discipleship to a philosophy, a way of seeing and being in the world that is pursued and practiced. First become aware of yourself, then turn away from foolish and non-life-giving habits and thoughts and biblical language to repent. And then over time, learn new ways of living through failures and successes in practice. Now, our vision for your life is a whole life discipleship kind of thing. That's like, it's all around the way of Jesus. And that is where we have been aiming our community. Uh, but we are structuring ourselves to do that better. And we're committing ourselves to it in a more direct way. Now, here's the beautiful part. We're all at different places on that spectrum. 
right? And that is the beauty of a community. We have different stories. We're different seasons of life. We're, we have different backgrounds, different hurts, different abilities, different gifts. And you might ask, okay, okay, this, this whole philosophy thing is really interesting, but why Jesus as a philosophy? Some of you are really uncomfortable with the term Jesus and philosophy, right? So let me just say this. Why, you know, why Jesus' philosophy? There's a lot of great philosophers. There's a lot of great therapists. There's a lot of great wellness podcasts. There's people like Phil Stutz on Netflix. Have you seen the Phil Stutz deal? Anybody seen that? Because it's, it's just me. It's literally just me. <laughs> Phil Stutz. He, well, I'll say more. I mean, this is not in my nuts. Did you? You saw it. Okay. So, Jonah Hill. You with me now? Okay. It's fantastic. But some of you are like, wait a second. Ryan's watching, you know, therapists on Netflix. Yeah, because sleep, right? No, just kidding. No. Um, no, it's just, it was fantastic. He had some really great things to say that really encouraged me in my existential angst, right? And so, but anyhow, so we got Phil Stutz, you got, you got Elaine Debutante, you got Jordan Peterson, you got wellness podcasts, you got therapists, or better yet, let's just take all of them and take the best parts of them all and we'll mash them together and we'll make our own thing. And there's a little truth here, a little truth there. And, and, and here's the thing. I just want you to hear me really, really clear. Now, I believe this, and this might freak some of you out too. There's other religions, and there's other philosophies, there's therapists, there's gurus, and they all have some truth. I love reading a lot of things and just go, wow, that's really, that's good. That's, but for me, I'm convinced of Jesus. And here's why I'm convinced of Jesus. And I'm going to use a version of Scripture um, called the Second Testament. This is a guy named Scott McKnight. He's translated the, the, the New Testament. And he said this, In the beginning was the Logos. This is out of John. And the Logos was with God, and the Logos was God. This one was in the beginning with God. All things were through him, and apart from him there was not one thing. What was in him was life, and the life was the light for humans. The light appears in the darkness, and the darkness did not prevail against it. Now, Jesus is the Logos. Meaning Jesus, and that word, that actual Greek word, means that Jesus, what John is saying is Jesus is the organizing principle of the cosmos. Think about that. The organizing principle of the cosmos, meaning the organizing principle of creation of the world. Colossians says that, that Jesus holds everything together. And that John goes on to say that the Logos, the organizing principle of the universe, of the cosmos, became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. 
His way is complete. And the call for us is to trust it, to follow it, to give your life to it. And if you want meaning and purpose and you want salvation, healing, and if you want to live this life that Jesus has on offer, trust it, walk forward to it, die to the life that you thought would bring it. And this is why last year, about this time, we talked about Colossians as a church. We talked about how there's this purpose for us, this telos for us, and that is to become and to help each other become complete. That there's something for us in that. And I don't know if you read the letter we sent out. It explains a lot of the background of the things that we're where we're headed as a church. But as a church, we want to move towards this. We are not after growing Sunday attendance or uh, we don't have church merch, okay? Uh, (laughs) We're after the life that Jesus has invited us into together. That's what we're after. That's what takes our focus. And we are building a community structure for that to happen. And we are inviting you into that because it turns out that we actually need each other to learn how to do this. And we don't have all the whens and the hows mapped out, but we do have the why mapped out. And to get us there, we're going to heat up the burner on community. And when you heat something up, like it, it's, there's some intensity with it, and we want to do that together. We want... Uh, like, like with anything you're not good at, we have to practice it. And we're not all good and we're not very good at community. And we want to practice community this year around becoming what Jesus wants us to be. So, but part of practicing community is intentionally giving of yourself to see others flourish. That's part of it. And so what I want to do is, um, as you're feeling all the little existential angst and, and the, what God has on offer and what Jesus has on offer for you, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to invite Ben up. And Ben is the head of our leadership team, and he is going to explain some of that structure to, to you, where we're going, how we're going to do it, um, and then we, we have more to share with you. So let me pray. God, we are here wrestling with the bigger pieces of life. And yet, when it comes back down to the ground level, we are elbow to elbow with people. And all of us, according to Jesus, there is a vision for our life, a beautiful, flourishing life, that's not easy, that has suffering and loss and heartache, but it's a life that you have given us to um, live on purpose with, with love and joy and flourishing hope for our world, for the people around us. And God, I guess I could say that I I don't want to mislive. I don't want this church to mislive. 
I don't want us to lose the plot. I don't want us to drift from the mission that you have for us. And so, God, would you, would you galvanize us around that today? And God, I pray for anybody here that is wrestled with their place in this world. And maybe see a moment, maybe now, maybe soon, where they can surrender their life to this grand vision of a Savior that came to die for them, to break them free of all the ways that they've been misliving, that they would surrender their life to the Savior of the world, the Logos of the cosmos. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Yeah, so that's a really hard segue to get into organizational structure after this, but I'm uh, tremendously moved by what we're trying to do here. Um, as, we, uh, as we hand out the handouts, um, what I want to uh, kind of center us on here are the two questions that Ryan asked at the beginning. Uh, the qu first question is, what do you want? Uh, and the second question is, how do you get it? And, the, and those are, I, I think it was Brooke, but it was like, we asked, what do you want? You're just like, oh, God. And I, I feel that. I love existential angst. <laughs> I, it's my jam. Uh, it's, it's galvanizing. It's motivating. And I love it. Um, and, and so when we thought about, as a church, how do we do this? How do we do this together? We've kind of put out, what do we want? It's what Christ has on offer for us. And then how do we get it? And that's how we landed on this idea of practicing community. And with the practice of community, we're, gonna, we're trying to create, like what is this handout that you have in front of you? It is, it's our attempt to invite you into habit and practiced wisdom. Uh, and so we get to practice existential angst together, which is really exciting for me. Um, and so as you think about what you want for your faith, as you think about what you want for your church, for your life, um, I'm going to step us through a reflection through that'll walk down this, uh, this handout. <clears throat> um, and I'm gonna ask you to think about how God has formed you. What experiences do you have? What, uh, what jobs have you had? What is your family like? What are your skills? What, is, what are these things? How has God formed you? Um, and how is God forming you today? And how are you participating in that? Um, and, and I want to stress that, you know, today feels like, I mean, maybe especially for me, but it feels like a launch of sorts. But I want to highlight this is not we have everything together tomorrow. It's that we're going, we're intentionally stepping into this journey of practicing community together. And what you see on the handout is how we're going to try to do that. Um, so get out your pens, uh, get, get out your thinking caps, um, and let's take just a moment to pause as we walk through this. So please feel free to close your eyes, feel free to uh, stare at the paper in front of you. All right, so looking at our worship gathering and the teams forming around that, with your experiences, your family, your work or career, and your passions, how has God formed you to help with our worship program?
are you creative? Uh, are the, do you like things like design, like art? Are those things an expression of worship for you? In your family, are you the organizer? Are you the planner? In your career or job, do you have experience organizing and leading teams, projects? In those areas, are you technical? Do you like electronics? Do you like audiovisual? Do you like sound? Do you have a wicked awesome stereo in your house? Um, are Sunday gatherings, are they meaningful for you? Do they, uh, is this something that this is central to your week and to your practice of worship? Are you looking to grow in your practice of worship? Are you interested in what that means? All right, let's move on to children's and youth. Uh, as you think about our, our children's ministry and our youth ministry, um, do you have a heart for helping kids see and understand this beauty that Christ has on offer for us? Do you want to grow in your own sense of wonder at God's creation? Do you remember the excitement and confusion of middle and high school? You, you be quiet. Uh, when you're thinking about that excitement and confusion, what feelings come up? Is it compassion? Is it like revulsion? Is it somewhere in between? Uh, could you use your experience with this to help our youth and our kids? for our transformation posture. When in your life have you experienced God's transforming presence? If you have experienced that, what was the setting? Was it a retreat? Was it solitude? Worship music? Holding a baby? Um, prayer? Is it through caring for others? And as you think about this year, uh, how can you seek God's presence? How can you uh, practice that? For our outreach teams that are forming, uh, are you a good communicator or organizer? Have you, do you have experience working with local nonprofits? Are you connected with local governments? Are you, or other adjacent areas that are working to meet needs in our cities? And when you think about outreach and us um, trying to meet tangible needs in our community, 
do you have a heart for this? Does this, does this create excitement and passion in you? For our facilities, for our building and our grounds, um, are you a DIYer? Do you like do you like working on projects? Do you like working with your hands? Uh, do you are you someone who always has a next house project lined up, um, or do you have five that are not completed? Um, in your home or work, do you, uh, do you thrive on bringing intentionality to the space around you in its design, in its elements, in its use? And if, if this describes you, how can you, uh, how can you apply these skills in a new way here? And lastly, for our finance team, uh, do you do the budgeting and bill paying for your family? Do you think you're good at it? Uh, do you have confidence in like, how you think about budgeting, finances, how you use your finances as a resource? Do you love yourself a good spreadsheet? Or a dashboard, if I may? So the exercise before you uh, leave today, and we've got a couple other elements to go through here this morning, um, but before you leave today, that, that sheet that you have, um, we're asking that you circle the things that you're interested in. This isn't a commitment yet, but that you're interested in. So if, if something is certain you or you have uh, thoughts on how you could help out or want to, please, please uh, share your interest with us. Um, we are going to be... Uh, the leadership team representing the different areas of the ministries that are on the sheet there are going to be down in the family room. Um, and so after we're done up here, you'll be dismissed and you can go ask questions and talk to those leadership team members about what's happening and about what the plans are and how you can uh, then you know, circle on your sheet what you might be interested in. And then please write your name and your email and drop that into the basket that's down by the, the exit door. <clears throat> Um, so lastly, uh, for this portion of it, we, we've got one more business item for you as a family, as a church family here. Um, and it's the thing that enables all of the work on this uh, under, behind the scenes, and that's our budget. So per our constitution, we are a congregationally led church, and every one of you who calls yourself a member, it has a vote on whether that budget is uh, an approval or not, Silas, you don't count. Um, sorry, not yet. I don't know what age you have to be. Um, but so uh, we, we, this year we wanted to make sure that uh, everyone had a real chance to understand what we were trying to accomplish, what we were aimed at, and then what the budget looked like to support that. And so two weeks ago, we sent you the, uh, the letter, which outlined all of that. Um, this past week, we did our informational meetings, which had a deeper dive into the budget workings. And this morning, we're gonna vote on it. Um, so Dan's gonna walk us through um, uh, just a high-level overview of that budget. And then you have a second card or a sheet on your chair. Please, everyone, uh, take that, fill it out, 
um, we're going to be passing the offering uh, baskets to capture those. And so place your vote, place your name, and whether you're a member or not, and we'll capture your vote. So I wrote down a few notes as Ryan was talking. I put um, Ryan's coin analogy when he started off. Obviously, uh, we all have uh, time. And so um, Ben kind of laid out an, an avenue maybe for you to uh, devote some of that time uh, through the church. And obviously giving is a tangible way, um, maybe a conduit that we can use to express our values. Uh, money is another, obviously. And so as you help fund this church, um, our, uh, obviously our budget um, or above our budget, um, Ryan kind of laid out those visions. And so just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. Uh, some highlights, uh, we obviously did uh, the memo a little while ago, uh, maybe a week and a half, two weeks ago. Obviously, we had some meetings that some of you were able to attend for a little deeper dive into the budget. Uh, highlights, uh, we kind of took our 2023 spend, um, kind of reviewed that, looked at that, and then added a little inflationary um, a buffer there. And so we spent around 260, 261. Uh, the budget we're going to propose is kind of a what I would call more of a conservative budget uh, at 268. Um, obviously, you'll have ability to vote in that card like Ben talked about. We will have, as we lean into this um, operational model, and obviously some of you jump onto the different teams, there will be ability to probably have some asks mid-year as we want to increase um, some resources inside of those categories. And so currently, you'll see up here the 2024 budget. I'm proposing more of a or we are proposing more of a, um, I would call it a balanced approach, and so not a major deficit or uh, uh, over, um, uh, over surplus, thank you, that was the word, uh, budget. And so basically, we are asking for an income and an expense at 268. You may not be able to see that in the back row, but the top is our youth um, percentage in the children's. Uh, worship would be next, discipleship, admin, facilities, and then the final at the bottom, staff salary and expenses. And so as the staff obviously is the largest portion at about 55%, that staff does work obviously inside of all of those categories. You will see uh, no outreach on there, and so that would be a good example of mid-year coming back as the outreach team forms and as the outreach team has some requests on how they can lean into the community um, around us, uh, maybe some additional asks. And so um, for high level, we did have one of our better years in the last five, six years last year. Um, uh, it was not necessarily uh, from a total give, including building fund and uh, general fund, it was not necessarily our best year. And so we know that the church, uh, us as a body, has have the ability to lean into this model. And so our conservative ask of 268 spend uh, and giving um, is what you're going to be voting on right now. Um, there is areas to approve, and so we'll be working through that this year. If you uh, do want more questions and more deep dive into that, I'm available, but also maybe that is your uh, cue that maybe you should be part of the team. So um, I think that's all I kind of wrote down. Um, yeah. Hi. How about we vote, right? I don't need that. I got this. Um, so here's what we're going to do. 
Here's what we're going to do. Um, we are going to take our offering, and then as we're doing the offering, you can throw your vote in. Um, if you're not done filling it out yet, I'll give you a second. Uh, but we're going to take our offering now, and um, you can vote. And if you're, it doesn't matter. If you're not a member, just say, I'm not a member. But we want to hear from you, okay? Last but not least, before I dismiss you, I, would, I wanted to invite my friend Terry Clark up. Come up, Terry. Um, so part of our goal as a church is uh, to be uh, led well. And keep coming over. you got to get closer. And this guy, Mr. Clark, has been a part of our leadership team for the last two-plus years. And the last two-plus years <laughs> have been wild. Um, we bought a zoo and uh, <laughs> the <laughs> they're downstairs, Terry. Um, and there's been so much happening and so much that Terry has touched, whether it's budgeting, finances, whether it's how Sunday operates, where all those things. And Terry is leaving our leadership team. He's finished out his term. And it's a good season for Terry to finish out the term. But he's been a gift to us. And if you've never spent time with this guy, he's going to have a whole lot more time now because he's not doing leadership team stuff. So he loves coffee and everything. So um, I just wanted to thank you, Terry. And I know this whole group doesn't even know how much you have done to uh, push this church along. So I want to pray for Terry. And then uh, Terry's going to hang out still up here per Ben's volunteerism. And uh, I'll, sh I'll share with you what we're, what we're doing next. God, we're so grateful for Terry and Susan. And we lift them up in this season right now of uh, different pressures and uh, different uh, opportunities to lean into you and to grow, uh, to be challenged by what life brings and yet live with a joy and a peace that is so evident to all of us. We thank you for Susan and her joy and her smile and her just caring spirit. And we thank you for Terry and his wisdom and his faithfulness and his prayerfulness for this church. And we thank you for the gift they've been to us and will continue to be for us. Amen. Amen. Um, so before you go, a couple things you need to know. Um, the handout, like Ben said, fill it out. Um, if you're so inclined, drop it into the, um, there's a basket before you leave, like you can't miss it. Go down and talk to people. Go talk to Joanne and Gene Wysocki and Gary Jardine and Ben and myself and who else am I missing? Dan. Go talk to everybody. Grab a donut. I think donuts are down, going to be downstairs maybe so that you have to go down there. Um, <laughs> Last but not least, least, next week we start a new series on the book of Haggai, yeah, which is going to be a, some Old Testament fun uh, next week, but it's really carrying on this theme of what matters most. And so I'd love for you to be here. And guys, they're so close to moving that way, okay? We're so close. It looks so good. You can't go down there now. <laughs> but it look, there's tools and there's holes in the ground, but it's so close. So hang in there. I wish I could tell you the exact 
day we're moving. Um, oh, but I can't do it. <laughs> May you taste the life that Jesus has on offer for you with us. Amen? Amen. See you later. <laughs>